everyone. Let's go. It's another episode of the Wobcast 2.0. Welcome in. It's yours truly, Wobby, here to break down the Minnesota Vikings training camp and the rest of the NFC North as our position-by-position evaluation continues. We have reached the tight ends, a position group that is strong for your Minnesota Vikings. We're going to get into that and to every other team in the NFC North and break it all down. To help me do that, it will be my co-host and partner, Giles. Let's bring him in right now. How's it going, bud? Hey, hey, happy Monday. Best day of the week. That's uh, right. Really excited for today's conversation on tight ends. Uh, as most people that know me, I'm a really big fan of the protection side of football. Uh, it's mm-hmm. one of the biggest common denominators among winning teams. And I think tight ends are a unique uh, uh, portion of that formula to be able to protect the quarterback and you know present the illusion of complexity, as sometimes the Minnesota Vikings say, yeah. to be able to, to block, to catch. They're, they're one of the most versatile animals on the team. Uh, so really excited to see uh, what the NFC North has to offer and more specifically the men in purple. Yeah, it's interesting that uh, you, you talk about the tight ends that way, Giles. I mean, there are so many different schemes and styles and there's you know, different ways you can construct your offense, but almost no matter which one you're talking about, the offensive coordinators will talk about the tight ends being really valuable. You know, it's Mm -hmm. a valuable part of what we do, you know, for reasons X, Y, and Z. And it might, you know, for Brian Dayball, tight ends are really valuable for a set of reasons, for Kevin O'Connell, for a different set of reasons, and for Norv Turner, a completely new set of reasons. But no matter who you are, what offense you're running, it's a position group that a lot is asked of them. Mm-hmm. And, um, and it's also a position really that's changed quite a bit over the last 15 or 20 years. And you're going to hear flavors of that uh, throughout our analysis of the uh, tight end rooms across the NFC North because um, there's a couple of different teams that have very different outlooks and very different situations with the tight end mm-hmm. uh, position. So it's going to be fun to talk about all of that. Uh, that's what we're going to do for the for the bulk of this episode of the Wobcast 2.0 is go team by team, tight end by tight end, and see who's got the best tight end room in the NFC North, as we've done for a bunch of other positions um, up and down the roster for the NFC North. So that's what we're going to spend most of our time doing. We are going to talk a little Daniil Hunter at the end of the show. So if you're waiting for a couple of opinions on the Daniil Hunter contract extension, that will be coming up momentarily. First, Giles, though, let's get into our position-by-position evaluation and talk tight ends across the NFC North. Now, as we've done for all the other positions, we will go team-by-team and player-by-player. For tight ends, we're doing three for each team, and then we have a grading scale um, for each of those positions, tight end one, tight end two, tight end three. And what is fun about this exercise, if you haven't heard us do this before, is I may have the same tight ends that Giles has for the Chicago Bears, but we might get to Detroit and we're doing one different one or two different ones. And we don't know who's right or who's wrong on that. It doesn't really matter. But the point is you're going to get an evaluation from us on what we think that team is doing with their room. So the way I did it was three tight ends for each room. I'm given 10 points for tight end one. I'm given seven for tight end two. And I'm given three for tight end three. It'll be a scale of 20 when all is said and done. We'll go team by team and every single player uh, in each team's room. And we'll start alphabetically. We'll start with the Chicago Bears where tight end one is Cole Komet Giles, a guy who just got a big contract extension. We talked about Daniil Hunter's contract extension. We're going to get to that later in the show. Well, Cole Komet just got one, 
There might be another tight end in the NFC North who's looking for a contract extension pretty soon, by the way, and he might just wear purple and gold, and he might just get a little bit more than what Cole Komet got, which is like $50 million over, I think it was four years. So a big contract for Cole Komet. The Bears obviously believe in him. 67.6 PFF grade last year, Giles. 6'6", 260 out of Notre Dame. Pretty efficient when you look at targets to receptions or receptions to targets. He had 50 catches on 69 targets last year. I I believe he played in all the games and he had seven touchdowns. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I I look at his production, Giles, and, you know, he's got the the frame and the bulk to be strong and to be a factor in the blocking game, but he's not really known for that. He's known for Mm -hmm. his ability as a pass catcher. Mm -hmm. I, I just, I don't see production there that overwhelms me. He only, he's only had three games with 50 receiving yards or more. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't love all that. Seven touchdowns is a good number last year. He is only 24. As I said, he's got the frame for it. He's, he's young. So I'm, I'm optimistic about what he can become. But I think anything more here, anything more than like a six or a seven, I think you're banking on the projection and the positive. And I don't really do that here. I like to just grade what I see. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I project Cole Komet to be a really good player this year for the Bears or the year after for the Bears if Justin Fields takes that next step. But we need Cole Komet to be healthy, and then we need Justin Fields to take that next step. And if all that happens, maybe I'll give him an 8. But I can't do that right now. Um, I'm giving him a 6 on a scale of 1 to 10. And mm-hmm. I'm I'm suspecting that's lower than some people would grade him. Um, but again, I got to see it before I can believe it. And, um, mm-hmm. Cole Komet, much respect for him and I expect him to produce, but I'm at a six for him. Tight end two, Robert Tunyon, who comes from the Green Bay Packers. And actually I didn't know this until I was doing this research, Giles. Tunyon was drafted or started with the Lions, then ended up with the Packers and now he's with the Bears. Yeah. So <laughs> maybe he'll end the year in purple. Well, yeah, who knows? maybe, maybe <laughs> the Vikings could find a spot for, uh, for a guy like this. And I can't say that. Tunyon is young, but he's not long in the tooth. Um, you know, 6'5", 240, um, really one of Aaron Rodgers' guys. He was one mm-hmm. of the guys in Green Bay when Rodgers was there and mm-hmm. came up the, the hard way, uh, versatile player, can block, had some really good pass-catching years the last couple of years for Green Bay, um, and, and then has also dealt with injuries here in the last year or two. Uh, but I think he's a solid player. Uh, another very efficient player when it comes to receptions um, next to targets. 53 catches on 63 targets, only two touchdowns, but really good, gritty, gutty uh, player, leader for your team, can block, can pass catch. For a backup tight end or a tight end two, um, I think he's a really solid player, and I, I gave him a five on a scale of zero to seven. Tunyon comes in at a five. And finally, uh, TE3, tight end three for the Bears. I went with Jake Tongs. Um, who is a young player, uh, second year out of Cal, only one game of experience. Um, didn't have a ton of production in Cal, but did find the end zone a handful of times, had 47 receptions. So uh, definitely a project for the Bears here, and it's okay to have a project at TE3. Uh, that's kind of what you're looking for, uh, a guy that you can develop into either a pass-catching stud, pass-catching role, or your long-term blocking bruiser. Uh, player so uh, that's what the bears have in tongs i gave him on a scale of zero to three for the developmental tight end i gave tongs a one uh, i think the arrow is pointing up on him though young player who i think the bears believe in so mm-hmm. add it all up you get six for commit five for tanya and that's 11 tongs give you gives you one more so on uh, a scale up to 20 the bears come in at a 12 
Boom. All right, there we go. Um, honestly, uh, really intrigued by the future of what the Bears tight end room can look like. I think there's some good things to think about today and maybe some interesting elements for tomorrow. Uh, but at the end of the day, I did have them as the third best tight end room in the NFC North, um, obviously being led by Cole Komet. Um, the fact that he just got the bag, I think, should really show what the future of the tight end position will look like in the NFC um, and the greater NFL. Mm-hmm. Um, I think Quasi uh, uh, might be kicking himself for waiting too long to extend tj hawkinson because that number is only going to go north from here yes um yep. in terms of what we have to pay tj so um he definitely deserved it he's one of the best in the league but we'll get to that here in a second um but definitely starting with uh cole Komet. obviously like you mentioned he's 24 66 260 pounds from notre dame um when he was drafted in 2020, I think he entered the league with uh, kind of some question marks, but at the end of the day, I think he's he's uh, reduced most of those. Uh, he was the 18th best overall tight end in the the league last year out of 111 uh, qualified tight ends. Um, I think his real strength, if we're being completely honest, is in the run game. Uh, he was one of the best. He was almost top 10 in run blocking uh, oh, for the okay. NFL. Uh, pretty decent pass catcher. Not quite top 10, top 10, but definitely top you know 30 or 40. Um, I would say he is above average at receiving. He's not quite in the elite category, but he's above average in that in that regard. Um, but definitely one of those guys to bolster the protection when it comes to the Chicago Bears. Um, so all in all, I gave him a 7 out of 10. Um, so uh, I think he's uh, on the rise. Uh, definitely not a showstopper necessarily. But definitely a, a solid uh, tight end one for the Bears, uh, yep. and certainly his paycheck now reflects that. Um, moving on to Robert Tunyon, the guy that's kind of spreading the spectrum for the NFC North. Um, obviously came from Indiana. I always like tight ends from uh, from Indiana, but he's 29 years old, 6'5", 240. Um, drafted in 2017, and I think ever since... Um, I would say he's been far more utilized in the passing game. Um, more when I think about this, he has, um, uh, you know, uh, he's, he's about uh, top third when it comes to receiving. Um, he did have 470 yards with the Packers last year. So I think uh, when I think about the, the Packers usage of him, it was far more as a receiving threat than it was blocking because he didn't even have enough blocking snaps to qualify as a, a starter as a tight end, uh, which okay. I thought was kind of interesting. So we had to massage the numbers here, but I would say he is, maybe bottom third when it comes to blocking though. Uh, I wouldn't say he's amazing, but uh, uh, he's definitely not the the train wreck, but he's definitely bottom third. So when I think about a versatile tight end, Robert Tunyon has far more upside when it comes to receiving than it is blocking, unless he can figure out some schematic things when he's transitioning over to Chicago. But all in all, I did give him uh, a four out of 10, um, which is not great. Uh, but I think his, his lack of uh, blocking uh, productivity really dropped him down in that regard. Um, mm-hmm. So I gave him a four out of 10. So he definitely has room to improve um, uh, based on that score, but uh, definitely knocked him down a little bit there. And when it comes to James, uh, James Tongs uh, or Jake Tongs, rather, um, he's he's a guy. Um, I think there, there's some upside with him there. But uh, based on his current stats, I do give him a two out of five. So I have tight end one as a 10, tight end two as a 10 uh, and tight end three is a five in terms of scoring units so it's a little bit uh, deviated from you uh, but i gave him a 13 out of 35 for the chicago bears okay i think the the general flavor for me giles with the bears mm-hmm. is i like i like the philosophy that they use to construct the room they have their mm-hmm. ace pass catcher they have their sort of versatile reliable veteran who can help you out in a lot of different ways and then they have their project you know and i think that's mm-hmm. a good way to build your room Mm-hmm. Where I where I just don't rise to the level that a Bears optimist might be at is I just don't believe that their ace is a true ace. I don't think Komet is you know a dude. I think he's a good player, 
And and their project is at ground zero right now. Like their project might end up being good, uh, but yeah. they're they're starting fresh with with Jake Tongs basically. So um, yeah. I don't look at this room as as saying it's terrible, but I don't have very high mark for them relative to maybe what you'd find if you did the whole NFC or the whole NFL certainly. So yeah, um, just just okay. And I thought the Bears were really strong in, at wide receiver. Uh, so maybe they drop a little bit here or there at tight end, but um, I think the presence of Tunyon kind of solidifies this group as not being embarrassing whatsoever. It's a, mm-hmm. definitely a group you can live with, especially being so strong at wide receiver. So yeah, agreed. Um, all right, let's go to Detroit. Um, I had trouble. Yeah, I had trouble with the Lions here a little bit. Um, you know, I and it's lack of familiarity for sure, and and just not having the tools maybe to evaluate this group. You know, we don't have practice tape. We don't have all the game tape. Uh, and mm-hmm. I think you'd need that to get a real solid understanding for this room. Cause there's so much inexperience and a lack of familiarity. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so I went with Sam Laporta as their tight end one. He's a yep. rookie second rounder out of Iowa, six, three, two forty five. um, graded very well last year, according to PFF and the college ranks had 58 catches, only one touchdown. I get the whole Iowa tight end thing and George Kittle and a lot of other, you know, good tight ends have come from Iowa in the big 10. TJ. So I, I uh, yeah, <laughs> TJ Hawkinson. Right. So I see, I see what the lions are hoping for here. Um, but you know, he's a rookie and I just don't know how high of a grade you can give a rookie in an exercise like this, where we're trying to evaluate what they are. We're not evaluating what they could be. Mm-hmm. That's what the draft is. We're evaluating evaluating what they are so on a scale of zero to ten i gave laporta the lions tight end one of four mm-hmm. uh let's go to tight end two brock wright is who i've identified as their tight end two i think you can make an argument here for someone else and you may be going to that player um and i may too as as a tight end three so I, but we'll go with brock wright for now yeah. um you know another Another guy who fits the mold, the traditional mold of a tight end from a size uh, and weight and shape perspective. Uh, Mm -hmm. He played at Notre Dame. uh, Modest PFF grade last year. He's a third-year player. Only 18 catches on 23 targets a year ago. I think you would bill him as your blocking tight end here. I think you're going to ask him to catch passes and run routes from time to time. But if you said to Dan Campbell, who's your blocking tight end, it would be this guy. It would be Brock Mm -hmm. Wright. Um, And so, you know, I think he can play some special teams, and I think he's a complete culture fit in the Motor City. I mean, he is undrafted and came up the hard way, can play teams. Um, So I think he's what Dan Campbell wants from a – like a. A background and a pedigree standpoint um so he's you know he's a solid tight end too no one that you'd ever be in love with i gave him a four on a scale of zero to seven and then the developmental slash tight end three position i went with james mitchell now mitchell is interesting he actually graded out pretty well from a pff standpoint last year was a fifth rounder only 11 catches on 11 targets Mm -hmm. also had an acl injury so he missed some time but i think he's a guy that you can play as a receiver, you can play him as an H-back, you can play him as an extended tight end, you can play him as a traditional tight end. So I think this is like um, the, the tight end coach or the offensive coordinator in Detroit probably view Mitchell as like a big piece of clay that mm-hmm. they can mold. And I think the ideal outcome here is that he ascends up the depth chart here, 
goes over the top of right and definitely becomes a tight end two, but challenges Laporta for mm-hmm. tight end one. I think that's the optimal scenario for Detroit. All that being said, I gave him a three out of three uh, for the tight end three position. On a scale of zero to three, James Mitchell gets a three. I think he's someone to keep your eye on, a potential breakout player for the Detroit Lions. You add it all up, it's not a very good score. It's Laporta with a four, Wright with a four, and Mitchell with a three. Uh, it's an 11 for the Detroit Lions. What say you? Yeah, yeah. Honestly, I think you put it best. I think the Detroit Lions have a big pull, uh, piece of clay when it comes to their tight end room. Yeah. Um, honestly, the one that I'm most intrigued by is their tight end three, like you mentioned, for James Mitchell. But I will start with Sam Laporta, who's technically tight end one on the depth chart for now. Um, he's a guy that I think has some uh, some decent upside. Uh, when he played for, for Iowa um, before being drafted this past year in the second round, I think he was the 35th overall pick. Um, he did very well for Iowa, and there's a lot of great uh, Iowa uh, tight ends. I think yep. it's kind of interesting for the, for the Detroit Lions. I think they're kind of in a tight end... Uh, drafting spree, so to speak, because they're drafting a ton of tight ends, Sam Laporta included. Uh, but with that being said, he is a rookie, so I can't give him a ton of upside. Um, I will say I haven't watched a ton of his tape, so feel, feel free to disagree with me in the comments if this is far too low. But I give him a 5 out of 10, um, considering that he did have a good time in uh, for, for his time in Iowa. Uh, but he is a rookie and has never played a snap in the NFL. So I gave him a 5. I, I dabble with giving him a 6, but uh, Sandra thoughts prevailed, and I gave him a 5 out of 10. Um, with the opportunity that I could go up to... Uh, a six or a seven if he's able to consistently provide his experience in Iowa uh, for the men uh, over in Detroit. But uh, we'll give him a five out of ten. And then moving down to Brock Wright, um, or Wright rather, uh, he's an interesting uh, nut because I think his real uh, uh, strength is in pass protection. And I yeah. would say most of his games last year, he was in the 70s, if not high 70s. But then there were games that he had like a seven uh, PFF score out of 100, okay. which is abysmal. That, that's worse than abysmal. That that's like, whoa, that's that's real bad. Um, so I think uh, he had some train wreck games, which brought his overall PFF grade down. Uh, but I think there's some opportunity from pass protection. Uh, but from a receiving standpoint and all those other things, not necessarily the greatest. But pass mm-hmm. protection when healthy in the average amount of games, I think he does well. Um, but because of his deficiencies in the run game and the receiving, I did give him a four out of ten. Um, I think there's a chance he could you could convince me into a, a, a five out of ten. But when you uh, bring all the, the the statistics together, when you consider his overall PFF grade, receiving, pass blocking, and run blocking, I did give him a, uh, a four out of ten. Um, which uh, I think there's there's definitely upside there. Um, so I feel like uh, the the numbers make it feel like he's abysmal. There is some upside there, but he does definitely needs to realize it. And then moving on to James Mitchell, and honestly, like I mentioned before, he's the guy I'm the most high on. Uh, yeah. I think he has a tremendous amount of upside. Um, when you look at his his performance last year before he got hurt uh, or you know once he got into the game rather uh, he did very well he had games where he was almost in the 90s from a PFF standpoint so I expect you know if his uh, performance uh, persists I think there's a chance like you mentioned that he takes over as the tight end one um, but if you are evaluating him as the tight end three I did give him a five out of five so uh, yeah. if you uh, bring all those together I get uh, Sam Laporta a five out of ten Brock Wright a four out of ten and then James Mitchell a five out of five which brings the score for the Minnesota or the the Detroit Lions rather to a 14 out of 35 and so I'm at 11 there but mine's out of 20 you're at a 14 out of 35 I think you do the math we're seeing this pretty similarly Um, you know and I I think the general idea or flavor here for the Lions tight end room is Mm -hmm. you know to me Mitchell is the second best pass catcher here if not the first right Um, and so but he's still green enough that he's gonna have to work hard to wrestle snaps away from right 
and from mm-hmm. Laporta because Laporta is going to have draft credibility um, going for him, right? So as a as a more recent and higher draft pick, so mm-hmm. um, I think there's lots of different combinations of snaps that the Lions, um, the way they parse out snaps here is going to be interesting to watch. It probably will change from game to game, mm-hmm. and it'll change as the season goes along and they feel more comfortable, perhaps, with Mitchell. Mm-hmm. I think a key point to make too on someone like Laporta. Um, which is relevant for when we talk about Green Bay's uh, two rookie tight ends as well, is um, it's okay if you're listening to this to be really high on someone like Laporta and to be disappointed with a low grade. Mm-hmm. But and, and also it's okay for us when we're doing the evaluation to look at a rookie, and even though we haven't seen it at the NFL level, still give someone a high grade. And I, I can get there if I saw dominant production in college. Mm-hmm. At a high level of play. So if you get someone from Alabama, Georgia, um, even an ACC school, Wake Forest mm-hmm. or something, you know, and they, they were very, very productive, then I can see giving them a pretty high grade even as a rookie in the league. But short of that, I just don't think you can do it. And so that's kind of where I, why I think we come in um, pretty low on some of these rookies. And there's two more we're going to talk about with the Green Bay Packers. So mm-hmm. um, sort of just, you know, just a, a, a word of context there on some of these uh, rookie players that we have to evaluate. Um, all right, yeah. let's go to Green Bay, um, Giles. And I thought, you know, similar difficulty here with lack of familiarity and lack of things to evaluate with a really young room. However, very on brand for the Packers relative to how they're building their wide receiver room. I see this as a very young, inexperienced group that they mm-hmm. chose to not fortify with veterans on purpose because mm-hmm. they want them to grow together with the receivers mm-hmm. and with Jordan Love. That's totally what I'm seeing here. Um, mm-hmm. We'll start with Luke Musgrave, who I identified as the tight end one in Green Bay. Um as mentioned, second-round pick rookie this year out of Oregon State. I mean, the desired size and frame at 6'6", 253, and really marginal production at Oregon State, which is um, – I, I don't know the backstory there. Um, he played in a bunch of games, just didn't have a lot of production. I think what happened here, Giles, was um, sort of the analytical testing, mm-hmm. um, the, the throwing numbers into computers, and um, the – over analysis of how one performs in combine drills and pro day drills really caused Musgrave to skyrocket here um, mm-hmm. because I think he is a complete project and he'll be one of these guys where if he ends up being a really good productive pro, you'll look back on it and be like, how did Green Bay sniff that out? Because you look at his production at Oregon State and does not suggest he's going to come into the NFL and be a really good player. But Green Bay obviously believes in him. They made him a second-round pick this year. So mm-hmm. um, hard to give him a really high grade. I, I'm giving him a three, which is one notch lower than Laporta um, mm-hmm. because I'm not doing the analysis and I'm not punching in the numbers like Green Bay is. Um, and I look at the college production and I just don't see it. And you need Jordan Love to pull it out of him. And I just don't know how likely all of that is. So um, I hope uh, for Musgrave's sake that he proves me wrong and we look back at this in three or four months and make fun of the fact that I gave him a three on a scale of zero to ten. But that's where I landed. Uh, We'll go to tight end two. Uh, Tucker Kraft is who I identified in this spot for Green Bay. Another rookie, third rounder. Uh, He is fairly local too, Giles, South Dakota State. More production in college than Musgrave had. Um, 
but actually is talked about as a blocking tight end for Green Bay. So I'll be curious to see how his career um, unfolds in that regard. Lower level of competition, but again, saw the production from him. So I felt a little bit better about Kraft than I did about Musgrave. And I came in on a scale of 0 to 7. Actually, I gave Kraft a 4, um, mm-hmm. which is a higher number on a tougher scale than I gave Musgrave. But clearly, yeah. Musgrave is their, is their tight end one. If you read any of the reports or any of the quotes from He's Packers management, he is the guy. But um, I think Kraft might, may be a better player. And then finally, uh, Josiah DeGrua. Uh, is tight end three, uh, modest grade last year for PFF, third round pick a few years ago, only 15 targets last year, kind of a jack of all trades guy. Now the leader in that room with no more, no more Robert Tunyon and no more Mercedes Lewis. Um, he's the leader of this room. He can play on teams. He can play as a fullback. He can be a backup tight end. You can throw a pass to him. He can block. I'm not saying he's an all-around great player. I'm just saying he can do a little bit of everything. He's a really good guy to have in your room. Um, Almost as good as you can get at tight end three. Uh, So I gave him a three on a scale of zero to three. And when you do the math, Musgrave three, Kraft four. That's seven, three more for DeGuara, and that's three for a total of ten. Couldn't have said it better without myself. Uh, honestly, I think you've uh, you found maybe the worst tight end room in the NFC yeah. North yeah. Um, for obvious reasons, all the ones that you mentioned, uh, starting with Luke Musgrave. Honestly, um, not much I love about this guy, to be honest. Um, obviously, he's still a rookie. Uh, he was drafted this year. I mean, he's 22, 6, 6, 253. Mm-hmm. So he has probably the right size. He's from Oregon. Uh, but at the end of the day, when I when I look at his performance, I think he'll be all right, uh, but I think he's a guy. I mean, I know they, they drafted him in a, in a decent position, uh, but I gave him a 5 out of 10 um, uh, because he is a rookie and they drafted him in a decent posture. So I think yep. there's a chance that he goes upward, but I'm maybe I'm letting too much of my emotional bias affect this, but not in love with him. Um, I, I gave him a 5 out of 10, uh, yep. just calling a spade a spade. And uh, we did differ uh, when it came to the tight end 2 position. I do have uh, Josiah DeGora um, oh, okay. as tight end 2. I think he's technically listed as the tight end 2 on the depth chart but like you mentioned i do expect that to change by the end of training camp um so maybe i should have adjusted from there uh but at the end of the day this guy has some up and down performance he had games in the 80s and he had games down into the 40s um so he definitely has some volatility when it comes to his play um which did bring me down to a four out of ten um because this guy i mean he was the 50th best uh tight end last year out of 111 tight ends um he was basically at the bottom when it came to blocking. Um, so this guy is not great at the blocking, uh, both pass and run. Um, so that brought him a four out of ten. Uh, I would say not great from a, a protection standpoint for runner pass. So he needs to clean that up if he expects to be able to, to increase himself on the depth chart. Um, in fact, I do expect him to go down to tight end three by the end of training camp. Um, hot take: I think there's even a chance that there's you know uh, an off season addition uh, where he gets moved even lower than tight end three, but we'll see. Sure. Um, and then that brings me to tight end three, and that's. Tucker Craft, uh, the one that I have the most high upside on him, uh, you know, when he was at South Dakota State, um, he had some pretty decent games. I think he ended the year with a 77.5 grade in 2022. Um, he was even better in 2021. He had an 85.0 grade. So I think there's decent upside with him, the chance that he uh, kind of scales the ranks here in his tight end two, if not battles for tight end one. Um, so I did give him a three out of five, uh, partially because he's a rookie. I think there's a chance that he could get a four or five as a tight end three. Um, that does bring the entire Green Bay Packers room uh, to a 12 out of 35. I gave uh, 5 out of 10 for Luke Musgrave. I got 4 out, of 10, uh, 4 out of 10 for Josiah DeGora. And then 3 out of 5 for Tucker Craft. Yeah. Um, yeah, you know, it's because there's so much youth here, mm-hmm. it's hard to 
um, be critical and mm-hmm. give them low grades. Where I kind of found myself was, here's a low grade, but you know we'll give you a shot at maybe it's better than we think it is, right? Because yeah. there's so much youth and inexperience there. And mm-hmm. look, Matt Lafleur is a great offensive mind um, mm-hmm. and has a great uh, depth of experience, and he's going to need all of that this year to make this like to to start building something and progressing something, you know, because. I just don't know what Green Bay – well, I'll answer my own question. What's Green Bay going to hang their hat on? I, it has to be the running game. It has to be Aaron Jones um, and the offensive line mm-hmm. um, and their uh, their other running back, whose name escapes me right now. Um, uh, A.J. Dillon. Yeah, Jones and Dillon. I mean, those two got to carry the, carry the water for the offense, you know, um, because they are just – they are young, inexperienced, and growth-oriented everywhere else. So mm-hmm. um, Lafleur definitely has his work cut out for him um, with the offense overall and, and in, in this room in particular. So, um, mm-hmm. all right, let's move on to the Minnesota Vikings. <sighs> really, really good tight end room here. Um, mm-hmm. And anyone who's listened to episodes of the Wobcast 2.0 here this offseason knows that not only do we like TJ Hawkinson, but Giles in particular was very bullish on the Josh Oliver signing. And so mm-hmm. you put a stud like Hawkinson into the room, and then you add someone like Josh Oliver from the Ravens, and you're going to have a really good score. So let's start with TJ. Um, I did not give him a 10 out of 10. I thought about it, um, but I didn't. He comes in at a 9, and yep. I don't think you really need much explanation for why uh, why you arrive at a 9. For him, you may be one, one point off, lower or higher, but um, really all about all you can ask for out of a pass-catching tight end in this league. Uh, I believe he got dinged with a concussion early in his career, but short of that, I mean, he's, he's a reliable, versatile, veteran player. Uh, he's gritty. He's tough. He's a leader. He can run routes. Uh, he's good in traffic. He's good in the red zone. Uh, just really a lot to like about him, and he's truly the wide receiver two in this offense. Um, mm-hmm. he, he's a he's the tight end one in this exercise, but he's wide receiver two in the offense, and he's a strong one. So I gave him a nine on a scale of zero to ten. Um, Josh Oliver, tight end two, really a strong player. Um, my scale uh, for tight end two is zero to seven, and when mm-hmm. I look at Josh Oliver, actually graded better than uh, Hawkinson did last year from a PFF standpoint. He you can did. correct me if I'm wrong on that. Yeah. Um, he did. Uh, known as a blocker, but also is adept in the pass-catching game. Um, I think he's still blossoming as an overall player. He may be a fully established blocker. I think he's still there's more um, there's more to get to as a pass catcher with Josh Oliver. Uh, mm-hmm. Six five two fifty nine for a tight end two about all you can ask for. I actually gave him a six out of seven on a scale of zero to seven. And then mm-hmm. for a tight end three, I went with Johnny Munt. Now Johnny Munt last year was one of those guys that I sort of identified at this time last year. I looked at Munt, and I was like, this could be a guy I end up really sneaky loving. Mm-hmm. And nothing really happened to pull that out of me. Um, nothing happened to make me hate him, but nothing happened to to like fortify my opinion of him. So I'm still on a little bit of a wait and see uh, with Johnny Munt. And so I feel a little bit low on my grade. I gave him a one, but I'm kind of teetering toward a two with him. But I'm so high on Hawkinson and Oliver that I'm like, uh, you know, I'll give Munt a one and see if he can prove me wrong. So Hawkinson, nine. Oliver, six. That's 15. One more for Munt. And that is 16. Your number one room uh, at the tight end position in the NFC North, according to me. What say you? 
There we go. Uh, before I get down into the nitty gritty of the Minnesota Vikings, uh, I want to do a quick uh, uh, contest, not a, a, like a little quiz here. Do you remember um, uh, the last team to go 16-0 and or to go undefeated in the regular season? Um, Patriots and what year was it not new england 2007 you're right it was <laughs> yeah, new england yeah. new england yep. patriots 2007 yep. um there are obviously a lot of reasons for that success that year including tom brady but do you know one of the other biggest uh kind of success factors behind that team are you familiar with this well i believe that year they had did they have gronk and hernandez they did. Yeah. They did. Uh, and that's honestly where I'm going with this. Uh, I don't have the exact stat in front of me, but they ran uh, a significantly higher level of 12 personnel, which to the audience yeah. is two tight ends, two receivers, and a running back, uh, more than the rest of the league. And part of that success was them having two premier tight ends. And running 12 personnel is one of the hardest units to stop when you have dudes at every one of those positions two solid uh, wide receivers two or one solid running back and obviously two solid tight ends now most people can't run 12 personnel like that because they don't have two amazing tight ends yep. it's really hard to stumble into now with that being said i'm not saying we're the 2007 new england patriots but <laughs> uh, having two amazing tight ends is one of the best routes to building an amazing offense and yeah. i really think we're going to be adjusting to run a lot of 12 personnel for the minnesota vikings in 2023 um so when you start at, at tg hawkinson obviously i'm in love with this guy he's 26 years old he's still young he's 6'5 248 pounds from iowa obviously he was at the lions for many years and was part of the reason that they were number one in offense for a big portion of the first part of the season last year um he had almost a thousand yards last season. He had six touchdowns, 86 receptions. He was targeted 123 times. This guy's obviously heavily involved in the uh, overall passing game. Um, he was the 15th overall graded uh, tight end last year. The only reason that I don't give him a 10, to be honest, uh, is one, I don't like to give 12 or 10s out very often. And the only notch against him is he had a few drop issues last year. Mm. Um, but I do think that's, he was new to the Minnesota offense. Now with a full off season, I do expect him to get better. So I did give him a nine out of 10. Uh, if you're thinking that I'm being a little bit too much of a homer, I'd be willing to, to notch him down to an eight, like an 8.55, wow. but I do give him a nine out of 10. I think this guy's a dude. I think he's a top five tight end in most categories. Uh, when you're looking down to the minutia into the actual specific stats regarding um, like the the uh, average target when you're thinking about deep, intermediate, and short passes. Yeah. He is top five in pretty much every category when it comes to receiving tight ends, uh, except for the the short game. When it comes to intermediate and deep, this guy's like number one or number two in most categories. So I'm loving this guy when it comes to the Minnesota Vikings offense. The only category in which he is not, uh, once again, perfect is drops, and he could get a little bit better when it comes to protection, specifically in the run game. But that translates very, very well into tight end two, and that's Josh Oliver. Similarly, he's 26 years old, 6'5", 259 pounds from San Jose. Uh, he had a 71.5 grade last year. Mm -hmm. This guy wasn't targeted very often. He only had 23 targets, but he did have 14 receptions and 149 yards. So considering the limited elements that he was used, specifically in the Ravens offense, I think he has a pretty decent upside when it comes to being a receiving threat. But mm -hmm. he was the 12th overall graded tight end out of 111 qualified uh, uh, tight end specifically because he's an amazing an amazing blocker yeah. uh, one of the the best if not the best blocking tight ends in the league and that's where i think he really is able to be the yin to the yang when it comes to tj hawkinson where this guy can block he is a 
a sixth offensive lineman, in my opinion, which is exactly what we need, especially with Kirk Cousins behind center. So I did give him an eight out of 10, specifically for a tight end, too. I think there's amazing upside for him, and I'm really excited to see if they do what I'm talking about here and run a lot of 12 personnel with TJ Hawkinson and Josh Oliver on the field a lot, because if both can block, both can receive, uh, I think you're going to have some really really amazing wrinkles you're going to be able to put into defenses throughout yep. the course of the year. So yep. really excited about that tandem there. I think uh, when you go down to tight end three, I also had Johnny Muntz really high on this guy when it comes to the tight end three. I think above that, and not a guy that I, I really love beyond tight end three, but in those specifically uh, third down scenarios or you know uh, heavy sets that you're going to put out there, really like Johnny Muntz. Uh, I think he's a pretty decent pass blocker. There was, a, there was one game where he had a really big snafu, but other than that, he was in the, the 70s and 80s uh, when it comes to pass blocking. I think there's uh, some opportunity for him to get better in the run game uh, in terms of run blocking, but this guy is a uh, pretty decent across the categories for a tight end three. So I did give him a three out of five. Uh, so TJ Hawkinson at a nine out of 10, Josh Oliver an eight out of 10, and then Johnny Munt a three out of five, which brings our total score to a 20 out of 35 score for the Minnesota Vikings. And they would be number one for you, correct? Yes, sir. Number one, one of the best in the league. Yeah. Yep. So I appreciate your emphasis on the potential propensity of the Vikings to run a bunch of two tight end sets uh, because mm -hmm. when you think about like a bunch of tight ends on the field, you don't necessarily think like, oh, that's super creative and high scoring and it's really hard for the offense to guard everyone. You, you, you think, think they're like, running, the, running the ball. Yes, <laughs> yes. you think they're going to yeah. grind it out, low scoring games, win close ones. And, you know, the, the difficulty is, you know, when you go 12 personnel, you got one running back on the field and two tight ends. The defense is naturally inclined to not play nickel. They're going to put thumpers out the there, box. Yeah. right? They're going to have, uh, they're, they're going to have their Sam and their will linebackers out there along with their Mike. They're going to have two safeties and two corners and they're going to expose themselves, uh, their pass defense, um, that's the risk they're going to take to be able to bulk up against the run in a two tight end set. But if, as you've mentioned, Giles, Oliver demonstrates the ability to affect the passing game in a positive, productive way, it's going to allow the Vikings to run out 12 personnel in a running down and distance and then deploy both of those tight ends into pass routes. You know, And now instead of having a nickel or one of those hybrid safeties out there to cover Oliver and Hawkinson, you're going to be asking a Sam linebacker type of player to run with Oliver or Hawkinson on a pass route with a very accurate quarterback thrown to him. And that is trouble for a yeah. defense. And so then, you know, now they're stressed because it's like, I know it's 12 personnel, but it's kind of a medium down and distance. So we're going to, we're going to put our nickel out there. We're going to put our hybrid safety out there. Mm -hmm. And then you run, then you run against that look if you're exactly. the Vikings. Um, so, so really, if you now, it's one thing to say this is what you're going to do. It's another thing to be able to do it. But with Hawkinson and Oliver, you are able to do that. We all know Hawkinson is a, a, a household name for the for for the. I would say he's a household name in the NFL. You know, um, mm -hmm. Oliver is not, but he should be, and he will be soon. But he's he's yes. not right now. But anyone who knows That's where he comes from, right? Anyone who knows what they're looking at has a great appreciation for Oliver's game. So, you know, the Vikings are probably really onto something here um, mm -hmm. with this approach. And so long as they both stay healthy, it's really going to be a wrinkle, more than a wrinkle. It's going to be a philosophy that Kevin O'Connell is going to be able to uh, employ that's going to be really effective. Um, and I think it plays into the hands of, 
um, Kirk Cousins too, uh, because he's a cerebral type of player. He's got no problem going up to the line with a run call and a pass call and going with the one that they're in the best position to execute based on what the defense did to react to the offense's personnel grouping. So um, I, I appreciate you bringing up the, um, you know, highlighting the, the, op, the opportunity the Vikings have here for a bunch of 12 personnel looks because I think it could be effective. So A hundred percent. I think that's, uh, like I mentioned last week, one of the biggest uh, success formulas to being a high-scoring offense. I talked about Jordan Addison, if he's able to take a step into the wide receiver two position in the way that I think. Uh, if he can really truly be a Stephon Diggs or a, a diet Stephon Diggs, so to speak, with a guy that can ball and that is super shifty, that's really, really fast. If you can put that into a 12 personnel format, that's adding another wrinkle. Uh, obviously, I mentioned Ed Ingram. If he can take a step forward as a right guard from a protection standpoint for both uh, pass and run, you're going to be able to run amazing things, especially in 12 personnel. And that obviously leaves uh, Mr. Josh Oliver. If all three of those players can really enter the season the way I think they can, this offense is borderline unstoppable. And I mean, in 12 personnel, I mean, uh, running back is a little bit of a question mark, which we'll get to next week in terms of who will be running the ball, how will they be running the ball, things like that. Um, but in a 12 personnel format, I think there's really, really some things to get excited about. Yep. And, you know, to be really like clear on this point, this is not Wabi and Guile sitting there telling you that Hawkinson's going to have 15 touchdowns and Oliver's going to have 10 and they're both over 1,000 yards. It's not that. It doesn't even need to be that to no. be super effective and efficient. Mm -hmm. It needs to be like Josh Oliver, 50 catches for 650 yards this year and four mm -hmm. touchdowns. Like that would put like those numbers aren't going to make you draft him in your fantasy league. They're not going to get him in the Pro Bowl. And it might even keep him under the radar at this time next year for folks. But they are mm -hmm. good enough to make it incredibly difficult to guard the Vikings. You know, yeah. and so that that's that's kind of what we're suggesting here. Um, you know, and I think Kevin O'Connell absolutely knows what he's doing from a construct the offense standpoint, from a play calling standpoint understanding what defenses might try to do to mitigate them or neutralize them and then what to do off of that. I think he has a great understanding of that. I think, you know, he played quarterback. Uh, he, he was in the room with Belichick and Brady early on in his career. And then Sean McVay, he coached under Sean McVay. So, mm -hmm. you know, he's really got great pedigree and he's got great talent here. So he's in a very, very strong position after a really good year one, uh, I think, to add some wrinkles. And this has the, the makings of a really, really good offense. And you're right. We are going to talk about uh, running backs next week. And Alexander Madison is obviously going to lead the room for the Vikings next year. And we can hem and haw all we want about how much of a downgrade that is from Dalvin Cook. And is that enough to matter? But the bottom line is no matter how bearish you may be about the Vikings running back room with Dalvin Cook now gone, there is so much talent elsewhere here that uh, the Vikings offense is going to be just fine. And then if you're kind of more like us and you feel okay about the running back room or you feel good about the running back room, you've got to be really high on this offense. So, um, yeah, the, the NFC North rankings at tight end guiles go Minnesota, Chicago, Detroit, and Green Bay. Is that how it shook out for you too? I know you had Minnesota 1. How to yep. go 2, 3, 4. Yeah, Vikings, Lions, Bears, Packers. Oh, you went Vikings, Lions, Bears. I went Vikings, Bears, Lions. I had the Bears and Lions separated by just one point, though. It was very close. 
Okay, there we go. Yep. I had um, uh, 20 for the Minnesota Vikings, 14 for the Lions, Bears were at 13, and the Packers at 12. Okay. And so I didn't combine the grades with the wide receiver room, but I'm toggling back and forth here on my sheet, and the yeah. rankings were similar. I had Vikings, Bears, Lions, Packers. I think you had that, or you had Vikings, Lions, Bears, Packers, whatever. When it comes to wide receivers and tight ends, though, we've got them stacked pretty much the same. Minnesota's atop the group. Detroit and Chicago are kind of neck and neck next, and then Green Bay's distant fourth. And so um, interesting position for Green Bay to be in after all these years of Favre and Rodgers where they've been flamethrowers and lighting up the scoreboard. The way we're evaluating it right now, uh, they got their work cut out for them across the border. So we'll, we'll see what happens, though, uh, when all is said and done. All right, um, two more things to get to here before we wrap this thing up, all right? Oh, first of all, did we leave anything on the table with the tight ends? Are you good no, there? No, I think that covers okay, it. Okay, good. All right, um, two things. We are going to do running backs next, so make sure you tune into the next Wobcast 2.0 where we break down the running back rooms for each team in the NFC North, and we'll see where the Vikings stack with their division foes. Lastly, though, before we go, Daniil Hunter. Good news this week as the Vikings and Hunter agree to a contract extension. Now, we speculated last week, Giles, uh, on the Wobcast 2.0 that something must have been close because it's rare for a, an elite player in a contract dispute to show up to camp on time. And that's exactly what happened. And so we speculated that something must be pretty close, and apparently it was. Because just days after that, Daniel Hunter and the Vikings reach agreement on a contract extension that is for one year, uh, guarantees him $17 million, allows him to earn up to $20 million, and there's a no-tag clause on the contract. So the Vikings will not franchise Daniel Hunter uh, next year. So all of that being said, I gave it uh, two thumbs up. I thought it was good news for the Vikings. What were your thoughts on it? Uh Obviously, love. I think he's one of the best edge rushers in football. Uh, I think this gives us a pretty clear uh, route to success here in 2023. I think the fact that they re-signed him shows that the Vikings agree with me that there's a route to winning in 2023. I think they think that they're in a win-now window because they didn't lock him up long-term, nor did they let him walk or trade him, which tells me that they think they have at least another year of juice left to be able to make a run for, for a ring. Um, I think uh, not only does it... it indicate that they think they can win now. Uh, I've said it before. I'll say it again. This is kind of some speculation here, but the fact that they did not trade him for potentially a first round pick, I think that goes to show that maybe they like Jaron Hall even. Uh, now that's some reckless speculation there, but I was thinking maybe they'd trade Daniel Hunter to be able to get draft capital to, to trade up and get a quarterback next year. And the fact that they kept him another year and he'll be a free agent after this next upcoming season. Uh, maybe there's some some interesting learnings from Jaron Hall. Obviously, that's a big if. That's a pretty low draft hit to hit on. Um, so if they do hit, then uh, give uh, Quasi a pay raise. Uh, but <laughs> I think that was some kind of interesting notes. But I'm really excited he's going to suit up in purple again this year. Yeah, me too. And you know, I, I'm really I'm really sort of down on what the Vikings have done from a pass rushing standpoint for their defense. And that's mm -hmm. a reflection of what they're doing on the interior, what they're doing at linebacker and, but, but mostly what they're doing on the edge. You know, I, I didn't like seeing, um, Zedaria Smith. Smith leaving and some of the moves. Um, but this is a good one. And this, this, this is their best guy and they brought him mm -hmm. back. And, you know, I look at, at what they're dedicating to him from a cash standpoint, but more importantly, from a cap standpoint and, I think when all is said and done, Giles, if he produces the way he should produce, it's a bargain for the Vikings. I oh, mean, my goodness, yes. You know? And if he doesn't and you're disappointed in him, 
I don't think he overpaid for it. And you're not committed to him anymore. And yeah. he can go leave and go to somewhere where he's a really good fit, actually. So mm-hmm. um, I don't know how far off they ever were in these negotiations, but where they ended up seems like a really good deal for uh, both sides, the Vikings and for Hunter here. So mm-hmm. um, I was happy to see that. I think it's good for their defense. I'm sure Brian Flores was a happy guy because, um, I mean, Daniel's so, so talented that even if you don't view him as like a great fit in your defense, you're still like, well, I'll take him though. Mm-hmm. right like i'll still have them Absolutely. on my team yeah so yes. um yeah so that was that was a good outcome for the vikings all eyes now uh probably on hawkinson and jefferson for the next contract extension uh for the vikings although you did point out guys that christian derisaw will be in line for one as well uh after this season so lots of guys to to pay here for the vikings still uh but that just means you got a bunch of good players on your team so that's you know it's kind of a good problem to have you know what i mean absolutely i was gonna say back up the brink truck but i think we might need to just buy it and be able to pay all these players (laughs) yeah exactly exactly good problem to have so all righty anything else on your mind here before we wrap it up no excited for uh for september here to come for uh actual football you're gonna gonna go to camp Uh, I'm going to give that a try next week. Yes. All right. Maybe a few preseason games. Got to go uh, get the football engine rolling. Yep. All right. That sounds good. Well, that's going to do it for this episode of the Wobcast 2.0. We had a great time breaking down the tight end rooms across the NFC North. We're going to do it again next week when we take a look at the running back position for every team in the NFC North. And we will see where the Minnesota Vikings stack up next to all their division opponents. That's going to do it for now. We hope you catch all future Wobcasts, and you can go back and look at past Wobcasts. You can find it wherever you find all your other favorite podcasts, Google Play, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and, of course, we're on YouTube. So you can check us out there as well. Make sure uh, you interact with us on social media or use uh, the comment function on YouTube. Let us know what you think and what you want us to talk about. On behalf of Giles, this is Wobby signing off for now. Until next time, Skull Vikings.